in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this is the show for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode three. Joining me today is my multi-talent co-host, Patrick Pister. How are you doing today, Patrick? I am doing excellent today. My three-year-old just had her first dentist appointment, so uh, that was an exciting morning. Uh, did anybody get their fingers bit? No, she did a really great job. I, mean, I was prepping her for the last two weeks about how great the dentist is. You get to sit in the big comfy chair, and you're going to smile and get your teeth, teeth uh, brushed. Yeah, it's. Um, I have an 11-year-old, and um, his first dentist visit did not go anywhere near that good. The cool thing is, is, is my dentist has a um, partner that specializes in, um, well, I guess you would call that pediatric dentistry. And so he knew everything to do to keep from getting his fingers bit and to keep from scaring my child. So now the dentist is just um, a normal thing for him to go to. Yeah, it's just uh, just about getting the right the right fit for uh, for the kids, I guess. Yeah, and this may uh, this is me being totally transparent. I actually can't stand the dentist. I, I don't like going at all. In fact, they used to have to gas me, and it's only just recently as my dentist got me to the point where I can let him work on me without having to gas me. You still bite him? No, I don't bite anymore. And the funny thing is, I, I you know I'm not somebody that's fearful of things, and it, and it's it's the idea of having power tools in my mouth just kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, and, and I asked my parents, you know, like when I was little, did I have a bad experience in the dentist? And they go, no. So I have no idea where that phobia came from. But yeah, it's, I go because I have to, but it's not one of my favorite things to do. So um, as usual, we're going to start talking a little bit about uh, a cool magazine article I found about uh, stress and work is, worker safety. And I, it never really occurred to me that when and it makes perfect sense that when employees or workers are stressed, and even that stress comes from their home, then it affects their ability to work safely out in the field. And so this is a great article about how uh, you can help work with your coworkers. Um, did you get a chance to look through this? I did. Yeah, it's, it's got some great stuff in here. Yeah, it's um, it's um, and, and there's warning signs, right? So the warning signs are things like uh, if you have trouble concentrating uh, or fatigue, um, low morale, uh, anxious irritability. Um, you know, history of workplace incidents or whatever, that's all a warning sign that something else may be going on that about, about stress. And, uh, you know, it's easy to look at people and make sure they have eyes, ears, hard hat on, but you can't always look at somebody and, and understand where their stress level is. So, you know, if everybody out there in the field, pay attention to your coworkers. If they're, stressed, if they're stressing out about something, if you see some of those signs, back them up and try to help and see, um, you know, if there's anything you do to make things better, because if they're stressed out and they're doing things that aren't safe, that's going to affect you and your whole team. You're absolutely right, Mark. And I countless uh, investigations have come down to, you know, someone lost focus. What does that actually mean? Probably they were distracted. They were stressed out. They, there were other causes and just lost focus. So this, this article, it's graded. It, it does point out what to look for in your in your colleagues and yourself. Yeah, like a loss of attention, a loss of focus could have a, a stress as the as the root cause of that. Yeah, and it's, you know, once again, this, this whole thing is about keeping people safe and, and healthy out there. Um, and so speaking of keeping people uh, safe and healthy out there, uh, to, it's ready for Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Our safety tip of the week is going to be around lockout tagout. 
at face value is pretty simple. You put a lock on something, it's safe. It gets a lot deeper than that. There are numerous points of failure with the logout tagout system. If you don't know your system, you could lock it out incorrectly. I've seen companies that just don't have enough padlocks, so they'll put one or two on there, and maybe the guy working on the equipment doesn't have the key, which if you're working on the equipment that's locked out, you need to have a key to one of those locks. You need to be the last person that unlocks it. Yeah, and Patrick, before you go further in that, for, for any of our listeners out there that don't know what lockout tagout is and, and why you use it, why don't you explain that a little bit? So our lockout tagout is a way to ensure a piece of equipment you're working on doesn't have an energy source that's gonna sneak up and bite you. Most people immediately think of electricity. If you're working on something at the house, you wanna turn the breaker off and that's your form of, of isolating the system. When you get into industrial applications, we go a step further and actually lock it out, shut it off, put a lock on it, release any stored energy. Now with electricity, that's a, that's a capacitor that's gonna store that energy. With a fluid system, an air system, or a bulk system, you wanna make sure there's no trapped air not just in the tank, but in the entire line. I've seen valves that leak that are locked out so that that line is actually building up you know, a small air supply. You break open a valve and you're gonna get hit with a bolt, a wrench, the, the valve itself that you're taking off. So not just locking out and locking it out, tagging it out that you're the one that locked it, but releasing that energy before the system is, is worked on. Electrical, fluids, air pressure, it's, it can all bite you. Yeah, and that's across the entire industry, upstream, midstream, downstream, and service, right? The guys working on the pipelines, the guys working in the refineries, there's a process and procedure for lockout, tagout, and it's so important that not only do you understand it, but that you follow it. And I would ask anybody that works on a system that has pressure, energy that's stored, and you're the one that's going into the system, if your company doesn't have a lockout, tagout procedure, one, that's that's a violation of OSHA and other, and other things that, that regulate whatever industry you're in. But two, it's just not good practice. Make sure your company is operating with a lockout tagout procedure, and if they're not, insist that they do. It's mandatory. Don't don't work on a system unless it's been bled off, discharged, locked out, tagged out, and you've got a key in your pocket while you're working on it. Yeah, great stuff. Great great safety tip of the week. Um, before we get into um, our procedures, because this is going to be basically a part two from a previous show. I want to talk, hats off to uh, Michael Fry and uh, Dallas Bozeman. They're killing it over there at the Oil and Gas Institute podcast. And I listened to their latest uh, um, episode, and they're talking about uh, procedural drift. And I go, wow, what a perfect thing for me to bring up, because that kind of lies into what we're getting ready to talk about, what we talked about in our last show. So uh, you want to talk a little bit about procedural drift? Yeah, procedural drift. And, and, and Michael and Dallas do a great job of, of covering procedural drift. And it's gotten more pronounced, I would think. It's, it's at least more visible. Because people are using more procedures, they're, they're, there's a procedure just about any, any job that you're doing out there. The problem happens when procedural discipline, your, your ability to stick to a procedure, wanes. When you stop following every step or when you just print it out and keep it in your pocket. Every incident that happens, management's going to come in and say, where's your procedure? And then they're going to analyze it. Right or wrong, they're going to look at the paperwork first. And if you don't have it, they're going to look for somebody to hang on it. Now, that's not what I want to focus on here, but it does happen. Yeah, and then what about when the processes get so cumbersome that people just go through it and, and check all the boxes? Which has been the way procedures have been heading. Towns putting these procedures together and then they're just throwing them out to the rig or the work site and saying these have been approved by town and we've had an engineer look at it and it, it's good to go and you need to follow it. Well, they're, they're becoming so cumbersome and not useful. They're, they're becoming giant, and I don't want to call them work packs because work packs are great and I actually advocate for work pack. If you've got a procedure that has your, your diagrams, your checklists, 
your JSA, JRA, your hazards to look for. If everything's in that work pack, that's what you want to see. The problem is, and Michael uh, talks about this in the podcast, that they list the same hazard multiple times in the in the procedure. It becomes a, a 50-page document for the simplest task, and it's something that nobody wants to follow. Well, I did this step, so I'm going to skip down to step five because the next next four steps are just so my they're minutia. I don't need to do all those little things, or I don't need to check them off. I'll just I'll just do them. Yeah, you know it's interesting. We are talking uh, on the on the oil and gas this week show about uh, Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, re-entering the frac fields in the U.S. And one of the things they did to drive efficiencies, they looked at their checklist. And when they went to drill a new frac well, they had their checklist, and, and it was two hundred thousand lines. That is- I'm sorry, it wasn't. No, I'm sorry, it wasn't two hundred. It was twenty thousand lines. Twenty thousand lines. And they went back and reevaluated that, and they dropped that down to two hundred. So think about it. It's exactly what you're saying. It became so cumbersome that that it was it got to the point where it was ridiculous. There's 20,000 different lines, and they were able to reduce that to 200. But their safety metrics actually went up. Yeah, you can you can simplify you can simplify a lot of things in the oil field and and actually improve the performance and the safety. I'd li- I'd like to talk about the the problems, the 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 benefits of of checklists. I've seen multiple versions of this go out. You'll have a checklist, and you'll expect it to be checked off and verified. But in in actuality, you're 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 putting a burden on the guys that can't actually be done. If you've ever seen a subsea engineer climb around the stack, torquing up valves, pressure testing, verifying, he doesn't have a clipboard up there with him. He's doing the work, and you've got somebody on deck checking off, verifying, keeping an eye on him, making sure the steps are done. So he may be going through the checklist, shouting off, yeah, that one's done, that one's done. But now you've got somebody that's verifying the task was performed, who usually doesn't climb around the stack and verify each one of those valves is torqued correctly and each one of those lines is pressure tested. He's, he's on the ground. So there's a false sense of security when you've got somebody climbing around the stack verbally telling the guy on the ground with the checklist who's verifying that he, that he did it when that verifier isn't doing it. Right. Uh, that being said, you do need to, you need, you need to verify these things. You do need to have checklists because they'll, they'll help you along the way they'll keep you from skipping steps from doing something out of order because order is sometimes as, as important as doing the steps itself um, I would like to talk about the uh, the term cognitive tunneling and this is actually a new term for me I just read it about it about a month ago in a book called smarter faster better and kind of the idea of it is your mind has a the spotlight that it, it focuses on any one thing at any one time or any number of things at any one time what checklists allow you to do is broaden that that focus so you're now you're looking at a, a lot more things you're multitasking you're let's let's say you're looking at your you're looking at your phone you're doing your email you're you're talking on the phone you're watching tv you're cooking dinner your light is focused on a bunch of different things but you're not really intently focusing on anything and this becomes a problem when an emergency arises if you're doing work through a checklist and an alarm comes on the the effects of cognitive tunneling is your brain has been so scattered and so turned off that now it's going to focus on the stimuli it needs to. And that's usually the first thing that you see, the thing that's right in front of you, which may or may not be what you need to focus on. The book actually references uh, some airline incidents, one uh, you know, a fatal plane crash, another one a near-fatal plane crash. Talking about the effects of cognitive tunneling, the, the fatal plane, plane crash, the pilots were focusing on the wrong bit of information, but it was the brightest, it was the loudest, it was right in front of them, but they weren't focusing on everything else. So checklists are great for helping you stay in line, but the checklist also needs to make you think. Your team needs to be thinking about the next steps. And if they're doing a checklist, 
actually verifying the checklist is right. Because a lot of times you'll get a procedure from town that's just wrong. Somebody wrote it and didn't understand the, uh, the process that was being completed, whether or not they were senior or junior. They just didn't understand the process. Yeah, so in your experience, have you run across that yourself where you've been given a checklist and it was just wrong? I actually have a great example of, of catching it before the checklist went into place. I just happened to be in, uh, in Singapore in one of the shipyards for about 10 days, but I was doing some work on board. And it wasn't really, I wasn't part of the crew, but they were allowing me to come in and help them with their procedures. And a senior employee, now he was new to the rig, he was actually new to this type of vessel. A senior employee was writing a procedure for transferring bulk product. That's Bayrite cement, dry bulk products, which use an air system to ship. And if you don't know about the difference between air and fluid uh, shipments, you need to start up an air airflow before you ever ship product. You need to pressure up the tank with the fluid or with the with the bulk product, and then throw some air through the line. Then you can start shipping. And there is no ramp up like you do with a fluid. You want to start slow to make sure there's no leaks. Then you then you hit it full tilt. With bulk product, it's it's go or no go. What he was writing into the procedure was a a step-by-step startup for a liquid transfer. He didn't understand bulk product because he had never shipped it before. All he had ever shipped was liquid product. So he was writing this bulk procedure, which covers their Bayrite and their cement systems, which are vital to the safety of the entire rig, to the well, to keep a blowout from happening, because everybody knows your first line of defense is the mud weight. That, That could have been catastrophic if somebody needed to ship any kind of dry bulk product in an emergency situation, but didn't understand the process and was following that checklist. They would have tried to ship that, that cement, that dry, gritty powder with no air behind it, and they would just plugged up the, the line immediately. It's just like dumping out a bucket of sand in a, in a funnel. It doesn't immediately flow, and sometimes it can just pack off. So, like I said, I just happened to be there. I was reviewing some of the procedures that I was more familiar with, helping them craft some language, and it was a great opportunity to educate a more senior individual about the system he was, you know, he was supposed to be in charge of, and, you know, it's not actually... It doesn't work the same way as liquid. It works like this, uh, this bulk system, and this is how you do it. Again, it's, that's, that's my own example, but I'm sure that happens all the time. Somebody in town that doesn't know what they're talking about or just isn't familiar with that type of system is senior enough that they're going to write the procedures and a lot of times don't raise their hand if they don't know how that system works or they just don't know what they don't know. Right. So that situation, a lot of that was luck that you were, you just happened to be there. You just happened to see it. You just happened to have the knowledge about the difference between fluids and air in your head. What do you think would have happened if you would, would not have been there? You think somebody in the field would have caught that and raised their hand? Well, there are checks and balances. That was being drafted. It was actually a, it was a second draft. And, you know, a lot of these procedures are pulled from somewhere else. So I assume he got the procedure half written from somebody and was, and was completing it. Or modifying, so maybe he did have a liquid bulk procedure to, or a liquid procedure he's applying to bulk. I honestly believe it probably would have gotten vetted by the first uh, derrickman who was going to ship product. Those guys know their systems; they know that that you need to ship air. But if they would have, it was a new rig coming out of the shipyard, so you may have promoted somebody. You may have had a uh, a guy just just become a derrickman who's going to use this system that didn't know. So there's a, there's an off chance it would have gotten to that that point, but. The, uh, the lesson learned here is the senior guys don't always have all the information. If they don't understand the systems they're writing, uh, writing procedures on, they could set you up to fail. So just following a checklist blindly is not what you want to do. You want to be thinking about the checklist that you're following, and does that next step make sense? That doesn't mean don't do the next step and skip it. That means raise the red flag with someone more senior, 
hey, this this says to do this, but I know that's going to cause a problem. Can we, you know, can we get a variance to this procedure? Can we rewrite this before we continue? Let's let's not do this step, but I want to I want to make note that I didn't do the step, and this is why I didn't do the step. Don't just skip it. Don't pencil whip it. Don't go go over it because it's not what we need to do because you're not going to capture it for the next time. So the next guy that gets that procedure may do that step, and it could be could be the wrong thing to do. It could set him up for failure. Yeah, and so if you're listening to the show and you're the guys back in corporate, back in town, uh, make sure you develop the culture of the people that uh, report to you and that work with you out in the field where it's okay to raise your hand. If there's something wrong in the process, in the procedure, in the checklist, let us know because this protects everybody. It actually protects the company in a lot of ways. So, you know, fostering that culture of, of, of um allowing people to raise their hand and say, hey, this isn't right is, is important because if they feel like they're going to be threatened or be frowned upon, they're not going to do it. And then you end up in this vicious loop where you have stuff out there that's not good and it's not safe for you, for you and your people. Mark, you're exactly exactly right. You need to you need to foster that culture, whether that's giving them a reward, you know, publicly acknowledging this person did something right. They raised their hand. They, you know, stopping the job is big in our industry. And I consider that a, a stop the job. If you find a procedure that's incorrect, you've stopped the job. You've made it right. So you breed that culture and do it. You know, you pour gasoline on that that culture, and it lights a fire in the guys. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. You know, the whole uh, stop the line thing in this industry has been around for a long time. But I'm telling you, ten years ago, Patrick, if you were that guy that pulled that trigger and stopped the, the work, you better well be absolutely right, or it was going to come down on you hard. And it's interesting to see in the last ten years, people and companies have gotten away from that. And they're trying to promote that culture of where, hey, it's okay. Even if you stopped the line and you were wrong, you still acted out of the best interest of everybody here. And so it's, it's, it's really cool to see that change. We still have some places where it could be improved a little bit more, but it's, it's just nice to see that type of thing change. It's definitely improving. The, there's, there's problems here and there. You know, it, it's human nature to kind of give a guy a hard time, or way to go, you know, you shut down for nothing. And we need to get away from that, the, you know, the gentle poking in the ribs for doing something that was, you know, and I don't want to use right and wrong that didn't need to be stopped, but you were unsure. I was, uh, I stopped a job. I gave a tool pusher some, some gloves. It was a quick stop. It was real quick. Just, Hey, come here. You're not wearing gloves here. Take mine. Cause I'm going inside. And the look I got from the guy was like, come on, really? I'm doing something important here. That gets to the guys. You start to, all right, well, I really shouldn't have stopped the job that wearing gloves outside when you're, when you're handling equipment, isn't that important. So why should I do it? But I, I kind of went down the wrong direction. Mark, you're right. The, the industry is getting better. Just don't don't sabotage it with a, a one-off. Why are you doing this? Promote that culture. Promote that safety culture. Stop the job and, and evaluate these procedures. Yeah. So speaking of uh, gloves <laughs> and safety culture, um, we want to talk, <laughs> spon- <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit about our sponsor, Red Wing. Uh, everybody knows Red Wing for their boots. Um, uh, Lord knows I have a pair. It's probably going to outlive me. Um, but they're also a provider of all PPE that you can need out in the field. And their stuff is A, number one, high-quality, great stuff. Um, they don't let anything out of the door unless it meets their quality standards. Um, we have a big love affair with them. We have a great relationship going on with them. Um, and we uh, they're actually doing our listeners a favor. And they're giving away these really cool offshore bags, which everybody wants. In fact, I've had actually people offer me big dollars for mine. They become a, a bit of a black market item. And, and we're not, you can't buy these bags, right? The only way you can win is to enter on our show and see if you can win one. Now, um, I thought of this uh, yesterday, Patrick. We, we are pre-recording five of our episodes to release at once. So if you're wondering why we haven't announced any winners, it's because we actually haven't drawn any names yet. But as soon as these, these podcasts goes live, we're going to start drawing names. So if you want to get ahead of the curve, if you want to get your name in the kitty to be drawn, it's really simple. 
you just need to go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. And Patrick, is the bag really cool? It, it's great. And to be honest, the best thing about it, I think, is the size. The the hardest thing about my offshore bags, it was too big or too small. This this Red Wing bag, it's a perfect size. It's good carry-on. You can throw all your stuff in there for a, a 28-day hitch or a, a day trip. It's it's perfect. It's, like I said, the best thing about, about it for me was the size. I love it. Yeah, and I love mine too, and you may love yours too if you enter. So go enter to win. Remember, redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Now, if you're listening to our show, you need to join our LinkedIn group. It's not called uh, Oil & Gas HS&E. It's actually called Oil & Gas Global Network. It's where all of the shows will be listed. It's where all of the new stuff. So Patrick and I have some stuff coming out that um, is a bit secret. That will be invitation only for the Oil & Gas HSE podcast. And if you want to find out about, about it first, you need to join the LinkedIn group. It takes all of a minute to sign up. The cool thing is um, it's our oil and gas family. So I've, had, I've seen people answer questions for each other. I've seen people help other people look for work. I've actually helped people find uh, jobs out there. I've seen um, you know, salespeople share contacts. So it's our own little microcosm of, of our oil and gas family. So go take the two minutes, please, to join, and you'll be glad you did. What do you think about a LinkedIn group, Patrick? It's great. It's it's not a lot of that. You know, LinkedIn's starting to get in, like you know, Facebook. They're they're putting things in. This is a it's a oil and gas uh, LinkedIn group that is oil and gas. It's people helping people, talking about the industry, staying on topic, not throwing a lot of fluff out there. It's a great resource for anybody. Yeah. All right, and then if you listen this far, please, <laughs> Patrick and I need reviews. We're brand new. This show is brand new. We need the reviews to help get the search engine uh, rankings and help iTunes notice us. So please do me a favor, take the minute and a half, leave us a review so that we can hurry up and jump up in the search engine rankings in iTunes. We have this first window of opportunity when we release these first five shows. So if everybody that listens can just leave us one review, it will be such a huge help to us. So please, please, please leave us a review. Then, if you like the show so far, can you share it? Um, can you use so your social media? Can you uh, shoot emails to your friends? Anybody that have an interest in health, safety, and the environment in this industry, let them know about our show. We're new. We're trying to get our word out there. And if you can take just a minute and share it, we'd be very grateful. Uh, speaking of sharing our show and, and health, safety, and environmental, Patrick, I think the next episode, we may have to work some environmental stuff in there because we haven't actually touched that one yet. That's a very good point, Mark. I think next show we will have to get some environment in, into the episode. Yeah. And so if you have some suggestions for our show, you actually can go into the show notes, which is a blog post and just type, say, Hey, we'd like to hear more environmental stuff. We'd like to hear more stuff about pipelines. We'd like to hear more stuff about custom painted hard hats, whatever. Um, let us know, share the show. That's about it. You ready to get out of here, Patrick? Yeah. Like Mark said, give us some reviews. Yeah. All right, folks. So don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond.